accessing agent files. Brian Sovereign. Early 21st Century Anarchist. Creator and host of the podcast Sovereign Check. By the year 2021, the show would be instrumental in the downfall of various conservative ideologies in the government, helping usher in an incredible time. Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now here's Brian. And everybody's wondering what is causing all this. So yes, the golden stallion here with you, the man of tomorrow. Got a little special for you. I was very, very graciously asked to be on Crypto Convos with MK Lords, the inimitable MK Lords, uh, which that show is actually part of the World Crypto Network. Uh, that that uh, that's run by, of course, uh, Thomas Hunt, real class act of a guy, uh, you know, famously known for running the Bitcoin group, which I've been on in the past and uh, look forward to being on again as my schedule permits. Uh, real honor to, to even be, you know, always invited to be on that. So but it was really great to talk. The real honor was being, on, you know, to be on Crypto Convos. It was awesome. Uh, and I was, you know, I got to admit, I was following up after being on with Patrick or after uh, she had Patrick Byrne on after MK had Patrick Byrne on. And I was just like, hold Holy shit. You know, <laughs> I better say something, you know, I better say something interesting. And so, <laughs> but uh, it was a good time. And, uh, you know, MK had great questions. She really let a lot of even some of my more not so popular uh, ideas out. And, you know, I really think, like I said, I shared this on social media, you know, where whatever social media venue I have available, you know, and I said, I was like, really, that is the hallmark of a great host. And, and MK certainly is that she really lets, you know, just lets get out there and and again asks very great questions uh you know it was was fantastic i had a great great time uh so thanks to mk lords uh for that and uh you know I will I, I will also put the link to the video version of the show in the show notes at SovereignTech.com, so you can check that out. Admittedly, my video, in fact, a, a good friend of mine, you know, told me, he's like, Mark DeMiesel, he said, he's like, man, it's like your video looked rough and I didn't catch it till after the fact, but I had put my, it was on Google Hangouts and the internet where I live in New Hampshire was it's it's kind of slow and rough uh, so so i had put my settings down to low and i think even the sticker over my webcam on them on my laptop might have been a little might have had a little sticker residue on it and i didn't notice because the only thing i was seeing was you know a little uh not even an inch long you know preview of what i look like and at that small of you you know everything looked normal so uh so if you look at the, if you do watch the video you're gonna barely be able to see me and see my eyes move or my hands move or whatever uh, but you can look at MK, you know, <laughs> you know, hey, what the hell? Uh, so if you want to see the video, you can certainly do that. Uh, but here it is in audio format. Uh, again, it was a real honor to be on Crypto Convos. Uh, got to got to talk about all, all kinds of wild things. So I'll just let this ride in and then I'll let it ride right out with the music. Uh, I won't be coming back at the end with any kind of, of outro. And of course, as always, regular episode of Sovereign Tech will be out this week. So enjoy, everybody. Carpe Lucem. I'll see you on the other side. 
Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Crypto Combos. I'm your host, MK Lords, and joining me today is the always interesting Brian Sovereign from Sovereign Tech. Uh, we're going to be talking about a bunch of different things today, uh, so it should be really exciting. I'm a big fan of his podcast. Uh, everyone should check it out. Uh, it's really, really awesome. Uh, so how are you doing today, Brian? Doing great, and and to say always interesting, that's that's might be the nicest thing I've ever heard said about me. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I usually get like always inflammatory, or I get uh, always insane, always crazy, something like that. So interesting, that that's good. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think your stuff's pretty rational. I, w- I definitely wouldn't call it insane. So <laughs> appreciate that. Yeah. That, so yeah, definitely probably inflammatory at times. So if you want to hear crazy things, yeah, listening to Sovereign Tech is is a great or not crazy, but uh, wild things. Good place to go. It's wild and intelligent. It's a good combination of both. So I I really like that. So yeah, I like to think so. Awesome. So what I always like to ask guests uh, first is what has kind of been their philosophical progression? Uh, you know, where have you? Um, where did you kind of start, and how did you kind of end up to where you are now philosophically? Oh boy, um, I'll try and make this as brief as possible. I usually crack the joke um, that I'm on my third life right now uh, because it's it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride. Uh, I kind of uh, I was when I was young I was actually I was literally known I went to, to a lot of conventions after I turned like 17 and my mother kind of turned me loose um, and I, I literally got the title of king of the nerds like I was this you know this is before the internet or I mean the internet was there but it wasn't like Wikipedia and Google you know where you could find answers to things and so if you're really good at quizzes and you know you had a lot you knew a lot of trivia uh, you became kind of popular and so I became really popular on the convention circuit uh, really all over the place um, and I started traveling like I it kind of became such a thing in, in the US because I grew up in New York uh, I started traveling to other countries as well and uh, that was a real eye-opener for me. And in fact, I think for a lot of people, one of the very first best things that they can do, especially uh, perhaps for, for their, you know, if, if they have families and they have children or something like that, is for, for people to experience other countries. Because if you only know countries through the boob tube, you know, through television or even through the Internet, you're really not, you're not seeing how everybody's really the same and how everybody has problems. You know, they just come in different languages wherever you go. Uh, and so that was really eye-opening uh, for me to, you know, to see that. And I think that definitely laid the real foundation um, to, first off, have the independence of being allowed to travel on my own at a very, at a, what, what some would consider a young age. Uh, and then also to really see, uh, you know, the world at, at, at a pretty young age, uh, that, that definitely, you know, really, <laughs> it really helps you sift through the bullshit uh, that you get on television and that you get on the internet even today uh, and all of that. So, But unfortunately, uh, the, the one bit of bullshit I did fall for is I joined the U.S. Army uh, after 9-11, and uh, I was, uh, I'm, I'm ethnically Jewish, I'm, I'm an atheist, uh, but, you know, I was raised in, in that, and uh, there was, uh, it, it's kind of a, it, it's just, I'll, I'll make it as quick as I can, because it's kind of a funny thing. Because a lot of people talk about like this 9/11 truth movement and how it brings so many people to the liberty movement. Well, it actually turned me into a statist. I was well on my way to becoming an anarchist at the time. I was already, you know, 
hanging out with, you know, cypherpunks and all that at a, at a pretty young age. Um, but then, you know, when I saw that happen, and then you had a lot of these truth movement people saying, oh, the Jews were behind it and all this stuff. And I was just like, what are you, are you crazy? I'm like, I'm not behind anything. And it was all this very, you know, collectivist uh, uh, kind of language around it. And so, you know, I wanted to go prove my patriotism. And, uh, and so I joined the U.S. Army. But fortunately, I got out of that uh, after a couple of years uh, which was early uh, for me, and which I'm, I'm, you know, very glad that 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 occurred. Uh, and that's really where I had a lot of my philosophical awakening was was in the army because you just realize uh, I was actually I was in psyops, um, just psychological operations, and so you're a propaganda man, and that that pretty much means you know you 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 need to lie to the indigenous people wherever you happen to be to make them think that the U.S. are the good guys. And so when you get enough of that, suddenly you just start seeing the patterns that you've been taught in just about everything, everywhere you look around you. And so when I saw it, you know, you start to see those patterns, then you realize just how much crap is getting fed uh, more and more and more. And so uh, so that, that happened. Um, the military, you know, not a good experience. I became a re religious again in the, in the military, unfortunately. Uh, and then I thought I wanted a family and all this stuff. And so I had like a seven-year time period where I lived a very conventional life that most people who know me now wouldn't believe I, I ever led a life of that nature, you know, being like this hardline Christian and, uh, you, you know, all this stuff. Uh, but fortunately, I kind of, I woke up out of that. Uh, thankfully, through uh, a lot of things like Ron Paul, uh, Free Talk Live was really, really, which I actually had the pleasure of, of co-hosting for two years, uh, which was kind of the boyhood dream come true, you know. And uh, and Free Talk Live really opened me up to a lot of a lot of these ideas, you know, started me down the path. And then I found a whole slew of other podcasts, Pork Therapy, Complete Liberty. I mean, you go down the list of just incredible, uh, uh, you know stuff that's out there that, that, that you can reach into. Uh, and eventually, you know, inside of a couple of years, uh, you know, I became an, an atheist anarchist, uh, you know, to put it simply, and got very much back interested into, I was working for tech companies at the time, but then Free Talk Live also taught me about Bitcoin. You know, I learned about Bitcoin, uh, it, or I, I took it seriously because of Free Talk Live. Like, I had seen it on, on message boards and all that being talked about for a couple of years, but, but when it was getting, like, real marketing, which is a big thing for Bitcoin. Like, I don't think people do this enough. They don't market Bitcoin enough, and it really needs to be necessary. And there's a lot of commentators out there that uh, say the same, that, that it's really missing. Like, why isn't it just exploding? Well, it's because nobody's reaching out to television, to radio, to whatever. Because when I heard it on the radio, you know, which Free Talk Live is a radio show, I mean, I took it very, very seriously. So that's, that's really what, what got me to that point. Uh, I mean, there's a million other, like, books I could talk about that I read that, that, that you know, uh, that really solidified, you know, my, my, my anarchism, you know, and my interest in cryptography and things like that. But, but that's, that's the long road. So I have a lot of experience seeing the world, being in the Army, living the conventional life, and just realizing that all of it is nonsense. <laughs> so we need something else. That's fascinating. Yeah, you really have been all over the place and gone. You know, it changed a whole lot. And I love talking to people who have that experience, too, who don't just stay fixed in one ideology their whole lives yeah. or, you know, they switch over because, uh, you know, th there was a long time that, you know, I, st I was a hardcore leftist and, you know, I thought that was, like, the way and that, you know, yeah. anything else opposed to that, like, I just couldn't process. And I'm really thankful for the friends I had and just, you know, the books I was able to read and the experiences I had that kind of pushed me away from that kind of authoritarian mindset. 
Sure. Yeah, I was a Democrat too. I mean, uh, you know, even when I moved, I moved to New Hampshire in 2011 uh, for the Free State Project because you got to do, you know, you, you want to do something about your principles. Be it, you know, doing a show like you do, MK, or you know, or you're on the Fiends, the Freedom Fiends as well. Uh, you know, your principles put you into action. And even when I came to New Hampshire, I, you know, I was still registered to Democrat. So I mean, I can understand coming from that left. Um, and there's things to learn from that, I think. I, I think there's unique perspectives to bring along with that uh, because we know the whole left-right paradigm is crap. Um, but, you know, it, it's really impressive, and kudos to you, you know, for coming from that and, and kind of seeing the light, more or less. So I can really understand that. Yeah, and Bitcoin has been an entirely new world, too. And so you found out about Bitcoin through listening to Free Talk Live, and you'd heard about it before, though. What were your initial thoughts when you first heard about it? Uh, my initial thoughts, admittedly, were some degree of skepticism. Uh, there was a book by Peter Ludlow written in 2001. I think it was uh, Pirate Utopias, Cyber States, some, something like that. That was that was the name of the book. It was really good, uh, and I figured it was that it was that becoming implemented. But a lot of the a lot of the it, in Peter Ludlow now he's just the editor for this book. But a lot of the the writings in that book were were kind of uh, uh, immature. Uh, in in their in their concepts, not to say they were bad, but they were kind of immature. So I was a little concerned. I was like, yeah, I I get it, but um, but I'm a little worried. A that there's there's a little few too many chances for this to get taken out way too early, uh, and you know maybe no one's just ever going to take it that seriously. And then of course there's a case of e gold, uh, where you know really terrible things happened in that case, uh, and you know to the people that created it, they were just trying to you know very much like you know Satoshi wanting to you know free the world, free the monetary system, whatever. And um, yeah, so I was a little I was a little skeptical of it, and and you know I'll admit I'm actually a little you know because again. I found it through libertarian circles. I'm a little shocked that that libertarians really latched onto it so quickly. Like they they really had no, and I don't know if that's because again, Free Talk Live is such an authority, or I don't want to say authoritarian, but such an authority, or they're so well respected in in liberty circles. Um, but like they they didn't think for two seconds. Hey, maybe this is like some kind of government plot or ploy. You know, I'm I'm actually impressed, and I don't think it is. I'm just saying that I'm impressed that that it was so quickly taken on from such a skeptical group of people. Yeah, that's a really good point. I did notice some skepticism and conspiracy theorizing around it a little bit, but not as much as as you would think. Um, yeah. yeah, I have heard several people like, and I've gotten the question a lot. Well, what if Satoshi is like the NSA? What if it, you right. know, it's government? And uh, I mean, yeah, what if you know? Okay, uh, the technology's out there. You know, it's in the hands of the people now, and uh, can be used in in a lot of different ways. Um, so yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, even religious people, like I, you know, this is the part where Bitcoin, like, like I think the evidence for Bitcoin being a government plot, you know, is or a corporatist plot, whatever phrase you want to use, uh, is kind of slim. Okay, I've seen it. I've read a couple articles. People tried to put together a case. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, uh, but the religious one, particularly like the Christian case, is is interesting. That that there's lots of Christian. I mean, they, they just jumped right on board. You know, which which really blew my mind. Uh, and I used to be to some degree a, a biblical scholar. And actually, hum kind of humorously, I'm working on my doctorate of divinity right now. Again, I am an atheist. <laughs> but but uh, regardless, you know, like the Book of Revelation never it, it talks about. It never says there's a one-world government. It says that there would be a one-world uh, uh, economy, 
that that's that's how it literally describes it. And so I'm shocked that that there weren't more religious people that said, "Hey, this Bitcoin thing is going to be that one currency to rule them all." Uh, this isn't good. In fact, I noticed uh, O'Reilly. Now I think they changed the name of this book, but there was a book getting released by O'Reilly, and, and they're they're putting out a lot of Bitcoin books. Um, and one of them was it was called Bitcoin, the New World Currency. And I was like, "What marketing moron!" You know, decided to put to say new world currency. I mean, because that's so close to saying new world order. Uh, you, you know, it, it, it's a nightmare to do that. But as I understand it, because when you click the link for that book now, and it goes to Amazon where you can pre-order, it comes out, out in February. They changed the name to uh, blockchain, the new economy, which sounds a lot less incendiary from a religious perspective, in my opinion. But that, but that shocks me too, though, is that that there isn't more. Uh, uh, religious people that are very, very, you know, kind of your apocalyptic types, very concerned about Bitcoin. So, yeah, just shocking. Yeah, I, you know, I've met a couple, um, you know, that have expressed to me, you know, some of those concerns coming from, uh, at least in this area, there's a lot more Christian fundamentalism. Uh, so I have sure. heard people, you know, ask me about that uh, with that concern in mind. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think it is... Um, you know what they're worried about basically and uh, so you mentioned marketing earlier what are some other things uh, you know what, what are some other ways that Bitcoin can be more efficiently marketed towards people well you know I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm playing against my own hand because I actually I'm one of those rare guys that doesn't want Bitcoin to grow um, I want I want Bitcoin to have value you know and and I want Bitcoin to exist I just don't you know people don't need uh, Bitcoin to, you know, if, if you want to buy something online, use PayPal. You know, you've already got it. You already have this whole system that, that, that can, and the whole system's nonsense, but then a lot of Bitcoin people are just going back into that system. Uh, or, you know, a lot of these companies seem to want to be working within that system, uh, which is crazy to me because that, that goes against the whole beauty of, of the technology in the first place. Um, so I'm one of those guys that really, yeah, again, I, I don't really want it to, to grow in the first place. But as far as, like, areas, I mean, the marketing, was, was the question the marketing that it can do? Well, what in what ways can it be marketed more efficiently than mm. it is now? Yeah, I think it's really um, well. For for one, like the hmm, you they keep talking about making uh, you know the apps easier to use and for grandma to use and all this stuff. Um, and I actually I was at a conference and I asked this question. I was like, don't you think that Bitcoin should be getting marketed? Uh, towards, and it was a panel up there, you know, Brock Pierce and all these guys. And I was like, you know, don't you think you should be like reaching out to radio and all this stuff? And they just said it's too early. It's too early. And I, I think that's nonsense. Real marketing, and, and I'm actually an ad exec, so I know a thing or two about marketing. Um, marketing has to be a very slow build. Now, Bitcoin's had that for a while, where it was a very slow build. Probably the smartest thing to ever happen to Bitcoin, and I'm not touting, you know, Free Talk Live or anything, you know, in this regard. But the fact is, is that Gavin Andreessen went to Ian and Mark, who are the hosts of that show, and said, I've got this. I would love for you guys to talk about this. And he was a fan of Free Talk Live. And so he created, you, you want to, the word cult is a, is a nasty word, by and large, okay? But in marketing, it's a positive word. It's your end goal that you want. And so to get a cult, you have to have this slow build. You have to build up people, grassroots, uh, you know, really slowly. And the thing is, is that that grassroots, as you can clearly see, is already, you know, here, come and gone. So now it is time 
to get on radio, you know, to do what Wegmans does, to do what Trader Joe's does. Get on radio, get on television. Television would be a huge thing that Bitcoin needs to get involved in because if you already have these apps that make it so easy for grandma to use, well, grandma's got to hear about it. Grandma's not, I mean, yeah, I get it. Grandma's on Facebook, but Facebook's filtering all, you know, just about every ad out there unless you're hashing out, you know, millions of dollars a year anyway. So she's not going to hear about it that way. You've got to go through traditional means, and, and that's it. I mean, that may not be, I think that's the most efficient way for growth if you want it to grow. And again, I don't necessarily want grandma to use it, you know. I want it to help the people, you know, around the world. I want it to help anarchists, activists, uh, you know, and 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 whoever, you know, the system keeps on screwing. Like in California, you have, uh, you know, porn stars that are getting their bank accounts, you know, shut off for, for no reason whatsoever. And I want those people helped because they're perfectly legitimate businesses, okay? And, and especially there. I mean, granted, I understand there's only two states where porn is legal in the U.S., and that's California and New Hampshire. Yeah, New Hampshire. But, <laughs> okay, but I mean, you know, they're, they're legitimate. They're legal. That, that's, that's the very nature of legitimate. And so for those people to be getting screwed by the system shows the fallacy of the system, but also it shows the importance of where Bitcoin is needed. It's actually not needed you know, for um, whatever, pick the company, Lowe's or Home Depot, I don't know. You know, n none of these people need this. Uh, it's it's where it's needed, it's already getting well used. Uh, but, yeah, if the question is where to market, well, again, it's just t TV and radio. People got to spend, you got to spend money to make money. It's a, it's a truism, but it's true. And if you spend the money there, the people will come. So, uh, you know, whether I like it or not. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen the FIVA ad um, that that was geared towards television, but I think it's an excellent uh, way to market. Are you familiar Agreed. with the FIVA team, the Troll I love please? those guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> are awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so they didn't. I think they did an excellent job with their commercial. And actually, here in Pensacola, I have a, a commercial on the radio, a Bitcoin commercial, and it's focused on the charity aspect of Bitcoin. And that's a, that's actually directed a lot of calls. Uh, you know, I, I work at Roberts and Roberts during the day. It's precious metals, but we're also big Bitcoin enthusiasts. So we're constantly, you know, we're taking calls from people who are curious about Bitcoin, and you know, they want to know more about it. And we have the you know the quick start guides out and stuff like that. But I do think you make a really good point when you say that maybe this isn't something that needs to be used at Starbucks, uh, you know, to buy your coffee with or just buy, you know, these just, you know, random things. You know, I, I kind of see Bitcoin as a tool to affect social change of some kind. And while I don't, I don't look down on people who buy, you know, who buy coffee or whatever with Bitcoin, I think it has greater sure. implications. So what are some of the other ways you see Bitcoin kind of changing things, you know, outside just consumerism kind of buying things? Uh, other ways that it changes things, well, it's really, you know, and this is one of the, a point that can't get talked about enough, and the first time I heard it was from a, a great uh, blogger, and he actually does a lot of the uh, Bitcoin conventions as well, that's uh, Steve Michaels, and he had said, he says, you got to understand, this is really the very first uh, unit, the very first commodity, or, you know, monetary unit, I guess is the best word, that actually uh, you own. You know, it's not, no government's telling you that it's it's legal and legit and, and you can have it or whatever. You know, nobody, there's no central authority telling you that it's yours. You own it. You got it. You own it. And that's a big deal. I mean, even gold, I don't think necessarily matches up uh, to that in many ways. Um, so so in, in that regard, that's huge, is that you finally have some form of, of tangible medium of exchange 
that that you genuinely you know no bank none of that stuff and you know that's something else too is I mean a lot of these companies uh, really they're, they're running to the banks to want to work with the banks a lot of Bitcoin companies and uh, that's a problem too that they're totally missing the ball is that banks aren't needed you know I mean they're, they're not they're not necessary at all uh, and so I think the irony is, is that Bitcoin allows pretty much every financial instrument that we understand uh, today, you know, that's on Wall Street or, you know, whatever. And it shows that none of them are necessary. And in fact, maybe they're all scams. This includes even the stock market and all that stuff. But the irony is, is that everybody is figuring out or is trying to figure out how to make Bitcoin work within that system. Uh, and it's a fool's errand. I mean, it's gonna—it's probably gonna happen. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's things far more efficient at doing this job, like Apple Pay uh, and, and a slew of others. Google Wallet. Google just bought um, a SoftCard or SoftBank, or yeah, SoftCard, not SoftBank. That's a Japanese company. Uh, but SoftCard, which is a wallet system. I mean, all these people are getting involved in that. And uh, you know, I, in my opinion, Apple Pay is going to put the kibosh on pretty much any wild dream. Uh, as far as in the in the standard system, the standard for the conventional financial system that we know uh, that Bitcoin could be a part of. Now, I mean, it seems like there's always two, and maybe Bitcoin will be the other one, and Apple Pay will be the other. But uh, uh, you know, that's not meant to be a dire warning because at the same time, that just means Bitcoin gets used by the people that actually need it. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I, I guess I guess that that's that's really what is what does Bitcoin say to everything? It says that really the, the financial system as we know it doesn't need to exist uh, the, the way that it does. Um, and I mean, you know, one could get into like blockchain technology in general, but that, that's a whole other can of worms. Well, yeah, there is this huge debate among people in Bitcoin of, you know, how much do you put your foot into the legacy system and try to kind of, you know, work that so you kind of are angling for a main, you know, mass adoption angle or how much should you stick to principles and, you know, you just what's in the white paper and like using Bitcoin for, um, you know, in other ways, it be, being your own bank, things like that. So I wanted to ask you about the recent $75 million injection into Coinbase. Um, do you mm -hmm. view this as a good thing for getting mainstream acceptance of Bitcoin, or did they just get hacked by Wall Street? Um, is it a good thing for mainstream acceptance? Yes. Did they get hacked by Wall Street? Yes. So the answer is the same for both. Uh, and But then, you know, the caveat is, is like I was saying, you know, is is mainstream acceptance a good thing? Uh, certainly, I don't know that anybody would be happy that Wall Street's getting involved. Well, okay, lots of people would be happy that Wall Street's getting involved, um, but a lot of people, a lot of early adopters of Bitcoin, probably don't want them there at all. Uh, I, I would assume. Uh, and but there's a bigger problem. I mean, you know, any with any of these, you know, technologies or whatever they happen to be, or you know, Coinbase doing what they do. And I, I don't mean to necessarily insult them. Um, I've used their service often, and they're great. Uh, but at the same time, as soon as you start bringing that money in. Uh, you know, strings are attached with with so with so much of this money, and I get very worried. You know, like in fact, there's the the side chains like with Blockstream uh, that they're trying to develop side chains and all this. I mean, the instant I read that one of the VCs, you know, some of that money that came into them it was like 21 million, which is you know pennies, I guess, compared to 75. Uh, but one of them, one of the guys involved was Eric Schmidt. I'm like Eric Schmidt. This is the guy that says if you're doing something, you know, if what you're doing is wrong, maybe you shouldn't, or if what you're doing you don't want people to see, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. I mean, one of the big taglines, albeit inaccurate, one of the big taglines of, of Bitcoin was anonymity. You want, you know, it was supposed to be uh, anonymous, you know, however far you could push it. And 
you know, but Eric Schmidt is the antithesis of anonymity. He is the antithesis of really everything that I would get out of a white paper or out of the correspondence that I saw, you know, from Satoshi Nakamoto. So when these people come in with all that money, you know, it's not for free. Nothing's for free in, in, in reality. And, and so when somebody comes in with $75 million, uh, somebody wants a return on that. And they don't want to wait 50 years for the world to change to get that return. They want it now. And the only way you can speed up uh, a, a financial deal in reality is by the government favoring you within the paradigm, within the system that you exist. Uh, so bad, bad thing. Very bad. Well, and it's pretty concerning, too, considering the amount of data and information Coinbase collects on merchants, for example. If you're an individual using the service, it's not a whole lot of personal information that you have to sacrifice, but if you're a business owner, it's quite a bit more, uh, actually, yeah. and I, I view that as a serious conflict. Um, you know, they're sitting on a pile of data that's, at, I mean, asking business owners much more than even banks are asking. Right, and and you know, and that's an issue too because that was one of the initial selling points, even from other companies uh, like um, uh, uh, Blockchain.info or Blockchain.com, whatever Blockchain. You know, all, all these other companies is they were pushing to you merchant apps that were, and and part of the reason they were pushing that to you is like, look, no, you can start your business right up, and you can get using Bitcoin. You don't have to worry about regulations. You don't have to worry about this. And they didn't mind using a lot of that verbiage either. And then Coinbase comes in and starts saying, okay, you know, please send us your soul. Uh, a DNA sample while you're at it, and you know, take your pick of all these things. And it's like you, you see, and it's documented on the internet. You you know, that's I guess one of the good things about the internet is that uh, uh, you know, at least for right now, not so many things are getting deleted unless you're in Europe and using Google. Okay, uh, and you can see that there was there was a total you know uh, attitude change at some point, and people don't realize is what allowed Bitcoin to get to. It's present critical mass, not that it's at a critical mass, I suppose some would say, but what allowed it to get there in the first place, but what allowed it to get there was the complete lack of regulation. And so if you're looking for this thing to grow more, just just copy what, what made it big in the first place. You know, I mean, don't, don't mess with success. And yet Coinbase and, and a lot of these companies wanting all this information and, and you know, and breaking anonymity, and like I said, even Blockstream, which everybody's excited about. I mean, you've got a VC there that hates anonymity. Uh, you know what? What do you expect? You know what? You're you're not. This isn't the animal, or this isn't the person that you slept with last night. You woke up and holy shit, the makeup's gone. You know, and Bitcoin looks like crap. Okay, so so it's a problem. Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, you know, it's it's there. There's kind of a broader problem too that you've been addressing lately with just the internet in general and, and privacy. And the internet is such a tool for liberation, but it's also kind of been being used as a tool for control lately. Um, you had an episode called "Google is Evil," and <laughs> I really liked it. I, I really enjoyed it. And I was kind of looking for you to kind of uh, expound on that. On that, uh, the Google is Evil. Um, phrase. Well, sure. Well, I, yeah, that uh, I appreciate. Thank you for saying that, by the way, that you enjoyed it. But um, yeah, the Google is evil is based around the fact that, like, in particular, you have 
in various times you have gatekeepers. You know, when it was books, the gatekeepers was the Catholic Church, you know, and then uh, obviously Gutenberg set that all free, you know, and uh, I, I mean, you, you take your pick. There's always gatekeepers at some point. And one of the beauties, and you can look at the way the Internet was marketed in the 90s. This is, again, you can go look up, you know, you can watch on YouTube, watch, watch uh, you know, even Microsoft of all things, watch Microsoft ads from the 90s, and you're going to see what the Internet, what they anticipated the Internet looking like, what they were trying to build. And what they're trying to build was like the store of all knowledge. You could go look up a book and you could read it, you know, any book that's ever been written in history and all this stuff. Um, and so it seemed like a very open way of doing things. But, and for a while, I think it's true that it was. And, and I think a lot of people are still hooked on that notion that the internet is, you know, freeing up knowledge and all this. But now uh, that has changed. Uh, it, like it, it's, these companies in particular, you're getting gatekeepers. In a lot of ways, the gatekeepers are actually like the web browser itself. Uh, Google Chrome, we, we've seen countless occasions where Google Chrome is strong-arming, okay, if you're using this S version of SSL, we're not going to allow it to be. And, and they'll say like, that, that they're doing all these protections for you, enforcing all of these standards on you, uh, you know, for your own protection. But then what's the very nature of a protection racket? Control over you. you know? And, and so, so Google being evil, I, I, just, I tie that up into the fact that they are becoming... Uh, not unlike in the Gutenberg, you know, analogy, the Catholic Church, to where they are controlling, and you're seeing it in Europe, like I mentioned, in Europe, you know, and granted, people will say, well, it's Europe that's pushing it on to Google or whatever, um, but, you know, Google's due diligence would be, would be to say, you know, screw off. I mean, disobedience is man's original virtue, and they should be fully enacting that, you know, and, and they're their bottom line be damned, you know. So, so they're willing to play ball with governments. That's that's a bottom line there. But also the fact is that you know if something disappears on Google, people see this as a viable way to control information. But that's just it. The phrase is you are controlling information. You are controlling, and con the very nature of control, in my opinion, is evil. Outside of self governance, it's evil. So that that's uh, you know that's I guess what I have to say on that. And you see that clamping down is a general trend for the future, uh, you know, in regards to Google or uh, or even something like coming in. Um, there. Are you still there? Oh, gotcha. Did I? Okay. Leah, I, go ahead. Like you said, some companies were coming in or something. Oh, I, I was saying, um, do you view the clamping down and just trying to control as, as a general trend for the future in regards to Google or even something like net neutrality where you have governments trying to influence, um, you know, the net? What, what do you think about that? Is it a general trend towards control with the Internet that we currently have? Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's interesting. There, there was a great article uh, by Julian Assange uh, about a month or two back, maybe, and he pretty much laid out the history of the internet, and he generally showed where everything could have been different. Where what Google's doing right now, where you take your pick of the company is doing right now, uh, could have been avoided. You know, all these systems of control that have been implemented onto the internet could have been completely avoided from the very beginning, and they, it was all ignored. Um, and so, you know, it, there is, yeah, it, it's being built from the ground up to be far more centralized, which is what Google's all about in the first place. Um, centralization is the antithesis of freedom, uh, which I think Bitcoin has shown that very well, along with all, a lot of other blockchain technology. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the system itself inherently is is about, you know, is about reigning in, about control, uh, you, you know, as it is. And I wish I saw it. 
you know, I, I mean, granted, you know, I'm only 33, so, you know, I was using the Internet in my teens, but I wish I knew. I wish I knew really, really early on. Um, and because I, I, I give examples of technologies that have been around just as long as the Internet are still as adaptable as the Internet, like Usenet, which is, is, is different from the World Wide Web, which is what generally people mean when they say the Internet. And these things are completely decentralized. No one can control them. It's very difficult to even market on them. You know, there, there's a whole slew of problems. And it's funny because everybody just left, or not everybody, but the mainstream left these technologies in the dust, even though they're still totally viable. And they even use modern things. Uh, like it allows you to, you know, download, uh, you know, movies or whatever else. You, you, you take your pick of it. Uh, so it's interesting that the choices were there for far more adaptable technology and far superior technology to be used, and those choices weren't made, you know, like, like uh, you know, by whoever, me included, I guess, you know, but, but now we can kind of see it. Mm. Are you excited about any alternative systems or projects coming out that, uh, you know, ha have new ways, of, you know, decentralized internets or something like that, just alternative um, ways to decentralize? Any Anything uh, exciting in particular? Sure. Certainly uh, Made Safe tops the list, I think, for a lot of people. We're all very excited about that. There's a great team over there, great people uh, with a good attitude. And attitude's everything. I don't, you know, I, I have a saying, I, I don't believe in following the money. I believe in following the attitude. Um, and the, you know, the attitude there is great, uh, but there's certainly others. And I want, I want a bunch of these things. That's the thing, too, is that one of the main issues is that there's a singular Internet. If you had choices, you know, to bounce around or whatever, you know, then n none of this control would matter because you just leave and go over here, uh, you know, or whatever. And, uh, and so... I think, uh, yeah, again, MadeSafe, uh, there's ZeroNet, there's, uh, let's see, uh, RetroShare. There's a few different technologies out there, some of which are already up and running um, that, that can do this. And, and really, you know, another thing, too, is mesh networking. And, in fact, I'm, I'm really shocked with, with mesh networking in general, which this is the idea of a decentralized connectivity, you know, of, of, of all being on a similar network, but it's, you know, its points of transmission are all over the place. It's not servers, you know, central servers by any means. And I think part of the reason, because I don't really see a good reason why it shouldn't be used and why people wouldn't want to use it in the first place and be dumping tons and tons of money into it. Uh, because we look at the big boys like Facebook and Google uh, and, and Elon Musk even and all these guys, and they're trying to create, uh, you know, just more efficient ways uh, quote-unquote efficient ways or ways to spread the Internet that we have. And mesh networking, by and large, could solve a lot of this, and so I'm not sure why. The only, the only conclusion I can come to as to why they are not interested in doing this is because uh, they know that they'll lose control. If mesh networking, if multiple actual multiple Internets occurred, they would lose control. Uh, but at the same time, Ironically, you know, they are trying to wrap people up into their ecosystems. I mean, Google's ecosystem. Uh, you know, like, why do people, you know, is, is the iPad the best tablet out there? Sure, I'd, I'd say that. Okay, but, you know, most people will only want to, want an Android phone for whatever reason. I mean, it's the most popular thing out there. Uh, but so why do people kind of stick with one system? Because it's so easy, the way they have everything so centralized, and for all your settings to go across the board, um, you end up buying an Android tablet instead of getting the best tablet in the biz. Uh, and I'm not promoting either of those, you, you know, but I, I'm just saying that, uh, so you, you have this weird, it's, it's not that, 
Yeah, it's it's tough to tough to kind of lay out because it seems like such a big overarching plan. But uh, I think they realize that they need to get people like tied in uh, to these systems. Otherwise, when you know independent people come out with things like Bitcoin, like mesh networking and whatever, they're going to see the real beauty of it and they're going to run to it. So hook people while you can. Make their get their whole lives on Google, get their whole lives on Apple, get their whole lives on Amazon. Uh, you know that that way they they just don't want to leave. Well, and it's always fascinating in like an evil genius kind of way, the addictive nature of social media and things like Facebook. Sure. Uh, it's geared to suck you in and make you waste hours on it. And I found yeah. myself doing this. I, I'm completely guilty of this myself. Me too. Um, I mean, it, it's very addicting and it just kind of appeals to, to whatever part of that brain uh whatever part of your brain that is. And I, I was actually reading an article lately that, uh, you know, maybe addiction stems from this lack of human bonding. And if you can get a, mm -hmm. addicted to social media, then uh, it's, it's really wanting connection with people. You're, you're wanting to establish connection with people over this kind of, you know, electronic me medium. And that's good in some ways, but I think it kind of you know, it could lead to, you know, other problems. I mean, it, again, like when you're wasting a lot of time, you're just sucked into Facebook. Maybe you don't know there are other options because there's that huge distraction. And I think whether it's television or, you know, whatever, everyone has their, their thing that they spend a lot of time on. And, you know, maybe it is distracting on some level. But, uh, but yeah, with like sure. Facebook and Google, it, it is something it's it's... Again, it's geniusly made, and it was you can tell it's obviously intentionally geared to just suck people in and get them addicted. Um, yeah, I know, I, I agree, and and it's interesting too because I mean, like one case of this would be like the phone company, and this is the problem that if you don't have actual choices, if you get stuck into a set ecosystem, you end up with things like like Ma Bell, you end up with things like AT and T, where you will pay exorbitant prices for you know long distance and whatever else. Uh, just because you you kind of get hooked into wanting to get that you know that that human connection, um, and and I get it that you want that human connection, but I think where the phone where phones like the average the good old fashioned landlines quote unquote not to say they're good, uh, you know one out was that it never allowed your communication to go beyond the Dunbar number. Now the Dunbar number is the fact is is the theory the research theory that you you can only handle like between five and 150 people meaningfully, you know, conversing with them or, or connecting with them, whatever that looks like. And I think it's interesting because, like, Facebook, like, I think a lot of people went out there to try and, like, max out their Dunbar numbers, and that's what got so exciting in the early aughts with MySpace and maybe just the Internet in general with chat rooms and AOL and all that stuff. Um, but it, it, it does become addicting. But I think what happens is, and I think this, I, I'm going to guess that social media, unless people start uploading their brains, which is a terrible idea, uh, social media is going to really fall away. It's going to fall apart. And, like, Facebook knows this because they're actually, they're testing apps now that only let you communicate with 40 people at a time. You can only have, like, 40 friends. Uh, you know, I think they realize that humans cannot handle uh, you know, meaningfully, and that they will run away or, who knows, maybe they'll off themselves, sadly, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, that, that, that the systems that exist now, you know, can't be. Yeah, so I, I think maybe we've almost reached peak Facebook. I mean, I find yeah. myself, you know, getting overwhelmed with it a lot of times, too, and having to separate and just, like, tap out, like, you know, this is just overstimulation, I guess, uh, you know, for me. Um, 
but yeah, I have to take a break from it, and I, I think uh, there is something to the Dunbar number, and you know, I, I can't even handle, you know, <laughs> like over ten people or so. I yeah. mean, it gets overwhelming for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and what you know, what can you do with a hundred or five hundred friends or five thousand friends or whatever? I mean, just just think about it. Like the fact that you're literally you are, you know, it's an old saying, but you're you're talking at people. You're not actually talking to people. And what a waste. Unless you know you're just kind of like marketing out to people. And I'm not saying there isn't a place for that. Okay, but uh, actually, uh, Prince, the 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 artist Prince, he he had a great uh, great song on a new album that just came out called Clouds. And he says, you know, he's talking about how, like, everybody's a celebrity now, all the world's a stage, what's even real? And it's true, because if everybody's acting like they're on TV, you know, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, you're, people act like they're rock stars on these social media networks. I mean, you're not getting anything anything real. It's all, it's all farce. It's as much a farce as the system that Bitcoin was trying to bring down, that the Internet was supposedly going to bring down and all of this. Uh, you, you know, you can't help but come to realize it. So if it helps people realize it faster, uh, great. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm impatient. Yeah, I definitely feel feel you with the impatience, and it is a show. It's you know a, the the world's kind of a stage, and a lot of it is just uh, you know trying to boost signals and stuff like that. Um, are you familiar with the series Black Mirror? Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's good stuff, boy. <laughs> yeah, it's the modern day Twilight Zone, and it's really like you know I mean it, it brings up some really interesting concepts. Yeah, I've really been enjoying it lately, and because uh, I kind of came from, I, I wasn't a very tech-savvy person. I learned more about Bitcoin. I've been learning more about tech in general, and it's really fascinating, but now I'm, like, watching Black Mirror, and it's kind of, you know, some of it's freaking me out because it's becoming so uh, present, you know. it's A lot of the concepts are already here. Um, for instance, there was, uh, I, I came across this website called InvisibleGirlfriend.com, where this app would basically text you pretending to be, you know, your girlfriend, uh, you know, if you if you were texting in public or something and needing an excuse <laughs> to leave you. But it was like this fake girlfriend that they would construct for you. And it reminded me of the Black Mirror episode where uh, the, the woman's... Uh, boyfriend or husband passes away and they try to bring him back you know the, her friend gets her connected with this app who will like text an email back to her mm. as if it's him and it's just so creepy I mean yeah, like, yeah. I, I watch this episode and, like literally it was like a week later I come across this website and it's, like, <laughs> it's here yeah yeah a lot of the yeah the, the, the rate at which things are developing like you could make this wild science fiction you know show or whatever and yeah the next week absolutely suddenly it's all real uh, so, which is good for me because when I do a tech show, I oh, I'm never out of content. You know, <laughs> it makes my life easy. I'll admit that. So I shouldn't complain too much. It is really fascinating, and I mean, it raises all of these, uh, you know, all of these ethical questions. And uh, it's something I'm kind of, I've kind of been interested in lately is kind of transhumanism and some of the, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I still don't know what to think honestly. I'm kind of like it's creepy, but I mean, it's kind of cool. Sure. Well, okay, yeah, so, so the first, the, the easy answer to get out of that is, of course, uh, and this is what a lot of people will say, especially like in anarchist circles or, you know, freedom-minded people, liberty-minded people, uh, is that, well, if the government's there, you, you might not want to, you know, be putting your brain into, uh, you know, into some robot that could be controlled, right? I mean, that, that, that's not a good idea because who's the gatekeeper, like we were saying earlier? Um, and, you know, with transhumanism in general, AI is a different story, and I, I wouldn't mind touching on that too. Um, but, like, with transhumanism itself, uh, it's something, you know, if, if, we're privacy, if we're concerned about privacy, 
And some people would say the very nature of civilization was, you know, privacy, was the ability to build up walls around, you know, around us. Not to say that so that we didn't connect with other people. I think that's a fallacy. But, uh, you know, but privacy is is a driving force in human, uh, you know, evolution and advancement. And, you know, consider this. Actually, my, my girlfriend, Stephanie Murphy, she said uh, it was re- really, you know, really a wild thought that I hadn't heard anybody else say. But if you upload your brain into, you know, uh, a server or, you know, or, or into this, you know, new Android body that you get as a transhuman, your brain patterns are all going to go through something that's going to record and see all of that. And so... I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, not not that I'm a like a a closed person by any means. I'm actually pretty open, but uh, there's certainly some things I wouldn't want running through anybody's filter. You know, I mean, I don't share everything on Facebook or Twitter. I, I mean, that's just that that's crazy. And uh, yeah, I I think that's a pretty scary concept alone for the idea of, of you know uploading our brains. Um, but with artificial intelligence, you know, and and that's maybe where people get a little more interested uh, is because a lot of people think that that's coming, that it's on its way, and they enjoy, you know, kind of like that girlfriend app you talked about or whatever, uh, but they enjoy how Siri can respond to you and help you out or how Cortana or Google Now or, you know, whatever can can really help you out. Um, And the goal of these people, like Ray Kurzweil and some of these other, uh, you know, futurists and transhumanists and technologists and whatever, is to create something that at the very least matches human ability and most likely, as they'll admit, will surpass human conscious ability, you know, uh, thought processes. And so, you know, and, and this is a point I bring up on my show often enough, but like, you know, nobody ever asks a lot of these technology people, why do you want to build this? No, really, why do you want to build this? And I think at the end, you know, they'll come up with a whole bunch of like, you know, nonsense of, oh, I want to protect your kids or, you know, we'll use it to make you more efficient or, you know, all these little things. But none of that really adds up because there's plenty of ways to do this stuff without hashing out billions of dollars at some kind of issue or at creating new life. But that's just it is at the end, they're creating new life. And I can't help but think that that it's just that artificial intelligence, the whole quest for that is neo-slavery. I mean, you're, you're really you're creating a consciousness that is that's incomparable to a human being that's the goal or if not better and yet you want it to just be some tool to help you cure cancer how insulting is that i mean just imagine being a you know your parents coming up to you hey i had you so that you can go cure cancer i mean wait a minute you know what about my autonomy what about what i wanted to do you know i wanted to uh, be a rock star i wanted to go do this uh, you know, no, 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 you don't understand. You were built for this, and so you go do this. I mean, that's the very notion of the lack of choice, and the lack of choice at the end of the day in the dictionary equates to slavery. And so I think artificial intelligence is, by and large, almost unethical uh, because it is, you know, in, in my opinion, neo-slavery. Uh, transhumanism, ah, boy, yeah, it doesn't excite me. I'm, I'm far more interested in cryonics. If people want to live longer, look into freezing yourself. I think that's that's very legitimate. And there's great companies that already will do it for you. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I have heard that before, and I I wasn't sure how far along the technology is with that now. Is it? I mean, has it gotten to a point where it's you know looking like a viable option? Or I mean, I know several people have already done it, but uh... oh, like oh, cryonics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a company Alcor, I believe it's called. They um they actually will you know when you die, they'll either freeze your head. Or they'll freeze your whole body. You get the choice, and you know you you wear this like a uh, thing around your neck, or you know just a little metal bracelet or whatever. It looks like one of those bracelets that the that the older people had to wear back in the 80s. Of, you know, help! Uh, I've fallen and I can't get up. That sort of thing. 
And, uh, you know, you, you wear that, and then what it, it gives instructions, call this phone number, and then a helicopter flies out, grabs your body, and they throw you in, you know, the cryo tank as fast as possible. So, uh, and, you know, essentially that does work, you know, as, as best as we can understand it. Now, nobody's been unfrozen yet, but then that's the course of the bet, is that by the time you're ready to be unfrozen, um, you know, that technology will exist. So I'm just saying that that as far as, like, a better bet, if you're wanting to live, and who doesn't want to live forever? I get it. You know, I do too. Okay, but as far as the best bet, I, I don't... Transhumanism just creates so many potential problems as far as technology goes and things that need to be developed that really debase uh, the human condition and, uh, you know, that aren't life-affirming at all, in my opinion, uh, that cryonics is a far more interesting aspect to go and a much better place to be throwing money at, in my opinion. So, say you're frozen, what, what is your vision of the future 100 years if you were to be unfrozen from maybe this point in time? What do you see happening, kind of the good and the bad, um, you know, 100 years from now? Well, the, the, the caveat to that is that I've actually been to the future. And no, no. <laughs> I, did a, I did a funny episode, a lot of people really liked it, uh, that I called 2099, where I kind of... Uh, you know, broke the rules, broke the fourth wall, whatever you want to call it, in, in, in showbiz, and I, I ended up going into the future with it. Um, you know, pretended that I was doing a show from the year 2099 on a floating city and all this business. Um, you know, as far as what I actually think the, the future is going to look like in, in 100 years, um, I don't think, you know, there's a lot of people, especially in, in the spaces that, that we frequent, or at least that I frequent, that talk about, oh, government's going to come down in five years, uh, you know, the dollar's going to crash in no time, everything's just going to all fall apart, and you better be in the right place uh, at the right time, otherwise, you know, you're screwed. And uh, I don't really believe any of that. I, I actually, I think that it will not look terribly unlike what we have right now at the end of the day. Um, I mean, I can theorize like how the potentially how bad it could get, but um, but I think it'll look a lot like now. But what will exist, what I do think will exist, is there will be a parallel uh, society. There will be a parallel community uh, or communities of people that will, with cryptography, with things like Bitcoin, uh, made safe and some other technologies, that they'll actually exist completely alongside you know, the, 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 common, the, the conventional system that we'd think of now. And so I, because I just, I don't, you know, I've been hearing it my whole life that, oh, the dollar's going to crash next year, the dollar's going to crash next year. I mean, you can't imagine how many times I've heard it. And if anything, the dollar's doing great right now. It's, it's, I mean, if you're long on the dollar, you're rocking, okay? And uh, in fact, and there's also, there's, uh, you know, economists that will tell you, like, if you ask some, some serious economists, they'll tell you, no, actually, this year, like, there's one Harry Dent, he wrote a book called The Demographic Cliff, where he's talking about 2014 on is going to be pretty rosy. So I don't see things getting bad, um, but there's still the system inherently is violent. The system inherently is malicious towards you know the human condition, towards human advancement, and uh, you know with with freedom and life affirming principles involved. Uh, so I, I do see people this technology allowing for there to be again a completely parallel society. And how advanced that parallel society will get, I I can't even really imagine. Um, but it will allow people to exist without in my opinion, without, you know, social constraints and with about 99% without, you know, like economical constraints. 
because uh, I imagine at some point you still have to pay taxes somewhere. I don't know. You know, I, I, I mean, unless people do the seasteading institute or whatever, I, you know, I, I don't know. But, uh, but I think the future, you know, is it, in one respect it's it's terrible, but on the other respect, it, you know, it's actually really good because I think that there will be that parallel society that will just figure out how to, you know, coexist. You know, the remora on the shark, in in many ways. Yeah, and I try not to be too utopian uh, when I think and I talk about technology because uh, it is quite a tool for liberation, and you know it all depends on how people use it and how they how they kind of put it into action. And I think there are a lot of people who have legitimate concerns that it's something that can be used to control people more. But I think ultimately, you know, as much as government can use it to control people it's always going to be several steps ahead of legislation, um, you know, especially the, uh, you know, unless government evolves as an idea, it's right. still going to be far behind technology. Yeah, government's slow, and that's a great thing. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't want things to speed up. Um, in fact, I mean, most of the institutions, at least in the United States, that we have as far as government go were designed for a system they used horse and buggy. Good. You know, let it stay that way. Let it be so far behind the times that it does, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, but at the same time, that also, in my opinion, kind of creates a real, uh, I don't want to say a vigilance. I, I don't like that term, but I'll use it. Uh, it requires a real vigilance on the part of just about anyone else because the government can't keep an eye on technology, nor do you want it to. But at the same time, you've got these people that, you know, really the, these, these brains, I mean, you read an article from like uh, uh, Larry Page. He wrote his vision of the future recently. I think it was in the Financial Times. Uh, and I mean, he's just got like these whacked out ideas and you can just look at them and you can say, okay, what would it take for him to get that? Oh, he's going to have to be, you know, Stalin or he's going to have to be, you know, some kind of dictator. It's going to have to be centrally planned. That's all that they're about. And you, and again, central planning is about control. It's not about freedom. So you do have to keep an eye. Technology's not talked about enough. You know, religion, like in the workplace, you can't talk about politics, you can't talk about religion, right? Uh, you know, in, in, because of the severity of those conversations, but technology should be right up there. I'm not saying I want to ban people what people are talking about. I'm just saying it's as severe as a conversation as politics and, and religion, uh, but no one treats it as such. They kind of just let the brains do what they do, and uh, that's, that, that, that's not a good idea, you know, because <laughs> some of these people have some very strange, strange notions of where they want the future to go. Yeah, that's absolutely true, and we benefit so much from from these apps that make things so convenient for us. And so many people use technology every single day with without maybe even thinking about it, without thinking about how far we've come along and you know the direction it could possibly go. So I do hope that even if you're just using you know weird apps on your phone to make your life a little bit easier, hopefully that can spark some kind of uh, you know light in the mind to look into other tech, other things, you know, other things that are happening in the tech space. Uh, because, yeah, it's, it's never too late to learn more about that. It's the general inevitable direction things are going to be heading. And, uh, you, you know, I, I think in general it's very much a good thing. Um, you know, I try not to, uh, again, I, I try to be as balanced as possible, and that's always difficult, uh, you know, in thinking about these things. But, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll definitely see, and I really hope people kind of can use it to become more aware, uh, again, of the general trajectory of things, and just you know, be more interested in because there there is a lot of you know fascinating things going on, and uh, if it if you if it is just a matter of talking about it more at, at the office or you know just wherever, I I think that's a huge step forward. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it is about talking about it, uh, you, you know, and then, then it's it's time, you know, eventually comes. If it's something that actually, like, really helps people, uh, it, it'll get there. You know, what, what, marketing or not, honestly, it'll it'll still get there. Definitely. Well, it's been great talking with you. It doesn't look like we have a whole lot of questions um, from the audience, but I do want to give you a chance to kind of, uh, you know, give your final thoughts. Um, sure, Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's see. So the universe started when... No, I'm <laughs> uh, Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I'm glad that that uh, there are forums, you know, as much as I may have complained about the Internet during this, I'm glad that there are forums where people can get their, uh, you know, their, their voices heard. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I do a podcast, I'm also a game developer, and so many of these technologies make all that very easy now to do because, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of time to make this stuff happen, and I certainly don't make a lot of money from it. Um, but I'm glad that there are people out there uh, and, and that some of this technology does inspire people to look into what's actually possible. Uh, you know, I'm glad your show's out there, uh, you know, and, and, and it's, it's things like that. Uh, people really don't, uh, they don't appreciate the real power of the spoken word in a lot of ways, and I think that that's the thing, is that people just need to start having the real conversation about this because I don't think people were having the conversation. They were just saying that, oh, that kid's on the computer all the time. I mean, that's not a conversation. You know, it's an insult. Uh, and, and so, I, you know, I just, what I really want is for, and I'm glad, again, venues like your show, my show, whatever, uh, you know, where, where these ideas can get meted out. Um, and I just, I hope that that happens more, that people start talking about it more. And, and at the very least, ask the questions because you don't have to, I don't expect, I certainly don't expect people to understand like technology to where they're writing everything in assembly language or something like that. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. No one needs to be doing all of that. But I think if people just ask questions like, so why do you want to do this? Why do you want to build this? What's, you know, what's, what's, what's on your mind here? What's your attitude about this? And I think people will, will just intrinsically, especially if they can get a face-to-face, will just intrinsically kind of see when something is not helpful to them or when something is, yeah, I don't trust that so much. Uh, so I just, yeah, I mean, my, my thoughts on everything is just people need to start talking about technology. And you can't stop the forward march of technology. I say this all the time. I know you can't stop it. It's going. It's been going for 6,000, 10,000, however many thousands of years. Um, but you can certainly steer which way it goes. And you have the choice of either it being in a life-affirming direction or in a direction of, you know, mental or maybe even physical slavery. I mean, you know, depending on how far, you know, how, uh, how apocalyptic perhaps uh, it gets. So people do have the choice still right now where, I mean, none of this stuff is normal. The Internet's not normal. None of it's normal. So, uh, you know, just just start talking. Start, start conversing. And, yeah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take an amen to that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, where can people keep up with your work? Sure, uh, SovereignTech.com, now that's S-O-V-R-Y-N, uh, and that's, of course, because I'm Brian Sovereign. Uh, so SovereignTech.com is where you can find just about anything uh, that, I, that I do right now. There's links to Twitter and, and all those other great sites where you can follow me. Uh, my Twitter handle is the same, at SovereignTech, uh, with, with the R-Y and all that. Um, also, I do have, I, just real quick, I do have a game coming out, actually, April 5th of 2015 of this year uh, from Zomia Offline Games. It's called Hypercronius. There's, there is a ZomiaOfflineGames.com, but... Uh, you know, you, you really won't see anything there yet, but uh, I've got a lot of uh, pretty wild surprises coming uh, in the near future, so do keep a lookout for that. 
Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for talking with me, Brian. Uh, it's always a pleasure. And uh, check out check out Soccer and Tech. It's a great podcast, and I'm looking forward to that game too. So, uh, I, mean, I don't have a guest for next week, but uh, I will be continuing the show uh, most likely. And uh, until next time, keep calm and encrypt on. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.